0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. How are we doing? Happy Sunday. Doing good? All right. Well, aloha and welcome. Thank you guys so much. As Cecia said, my name is Riz, pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and uh, just blessed to have you join us here this morning um, as we gather as the church and gather ourselves around our king King Jesus and um, now is the time in our service where we get into the Word of God and we allow it to speak to us and so if you have your Bible I'd love for you to turn with me to James chapter 2 uh, if you do not have a physical Bible we do have extra ones as you came in the door that table right there feel free to grab it and um, use one or uh, if, you, if you want to, if it's more comfortable, you can totally open your Bible app, but just don't be distracted. It's a dangerous game to open your phone in church. Um, so, but you totally can. Well, we'll have most of the stuff on the screen anyway. But if you've been with us, you would know for the last month or two, this fall, we are going through the book of James, the letter of James written to the church scattered abroad in Israel... Middle East, Northern Africa, out of, out, coming out of an intense season of persecution, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he's writing this letter, we call it a book, but it's a letter to these churches scattered abroad. He's writing to Christians. Um, and he's and he's doing a lot in this letter. And so what we're doing is we're taking a few months to go over these five different chapters, uh, and we're doing a verse-by-verse study into this letter. And not only are we hopefully understanding right the context that it was written in to the people that it was written in, but also that it would form and shape us that it would speak to us that we ourselves wouldn't just go oh that's that's nice for them but that we know this is the word of God and it's for us as well Um, and it's for us today and so we are finishing chapter two so we're going to be covering about 12 verses and we're going to kind of work our way through it today but i love to have you read it with me. Um, I'm reading out of the NLT, New Living Translation today. It's on the screen for you if you have a different translation and you want to follow this one. But um, James 2:14 through 26, NLT says this. Again, James speaking, says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? Don't you remember that your ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this space that you have provided that we can meet in this morning. And even the means by which we can talk through a camera and record this and people listening, all these are are gifts and we're thankful for the ability to read your word and and worship you and be together. It's all a gift today, Lord, and we gather because we wanna hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. God, encourage us, exhort us, correct us, train us. Like, do as you wish. This is not our time. This is your time. Would you speak through me? Would you encourage us by your word? And God, make us a people of genuine faith that produce genuine fruit um, in our lives. Love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, For me, if you know any of my story, I've shared it previously. I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I didn't go like my kids right now are in kids' church. I didn't do that. Uh, I came to know the Lord. I got saved in middle school. And middle school and high school are really formative for me as a Christian. Because up until middle school, I had never read a word of Scripture. Never heard anything out of the Bible. Didn't attend church family wasn't religious, all that stuff. And so what was, uh, in in hindsight, I'm really thankful. I had this incredible opportunity um, to go on a missions trip to the Philippines when I was in middle school. Kind of wild to think about that now, like sending a middle schooler from California, like without your parents, to Philippines. But it was amazing. It was actually my first country outside of the the U.S. I hadn't been to Mexico or Canada yet, and so Philippines was my first initial... um, look into the world. It was amazing. Um, But in order to go on that trip, a part of the requirement, the preparation, was to read the entirety of the New Testament, a chapter a day, and journal on every chapter for nine months. It was insane to ask a middle schooler to do that. It's insane to ask an adult to do that, I think. I think a lot of us would have trouble. But when I was 13 years old, it was insane, and I would grumble and complain all the time. But to this day, the first introduction to Jesus and the Word of God, and even now, Scripture that's stored inside of me was from those moments when me personally, for the first time, read Scripture. And everything's pretty vivid of like how different the New Testament is, and here's Jesus, and then there's letters, and then there's different churches, and it's very different, right? By the time you start out in Matthew, and then you end in Revelation, this is a lot's gone on. And I remember getting to James and I remember hearing like James's tone is like, it felt pretty black and white. It was, it's, it's like, dude, unless you have good works, your faith is dead. And you're like, dude, this guy is pretty serious. And I remember feeling the tone of that, but also at a young age realizing like, this makes sense. If, if I am truly a believer of Jesus, my life is to be different. And the only way that... It is different is by my actions and my speech and there's change. Like it's pretty simple. It's black and white and it seems harsh to us. But even at an early age, I remember going, ah, that makes sense. And for me, right, my journey, my Christian journey, pretty involved with like youth group in middle school and high school, this concept that we see here today in James that he's writing was talked about and challenged often in my, you would say, spiritual upbringing right? In middle and high school, my youth pastors all the time were like, hey, that's cool on Wednesday nights when you do youth group, you say something, or on Sunday mornings, or, but what do other people see the rest of the week? Would they even know about Jesus? Would they, would your life match your belief? Again, you know, this idea of challenging, like, Hey, you claim to go to church and be a Christian or you go on a missions trip and you believe in Jesus, but does my life reflect these truths in everyday life? Does my schoolmate, you know, back then, does my schoolmate, would he know the things I believe in? Right? In other words, was my faith genuine enough that it was changing me? Did my life bear fruit of the hope I had within This is the essence of what James is getting at. Again, in context, he's confronting these Jewish believers that are scattered abroad that may perhaps, again, the reason why he's saying this is he's maybe heard or maybe he can guess that maybe these Christians are just going through the motions. Maybe they're once a week gathering as the church, but the rest of the week they're living like Anybody else? James is confronting this idea of, of, of genuine faith produces genuine fruit in your life. And again, he's pretty, he's pretty stern, but he's, he's, he wants to, he's, he's, he's lovingly challenging Christians. That your faith is actually only genuine if there is genuine fruit. Not just because you say it, but if actions follow. One commentator says this about what we're studying today. He said, this was James's concern millennia ago because it was just as likely then as today for church attenders to slide along with a bogus faith that made no real difference in the way they lived. James wants to make crystal clear what makes faith real faith. And in doing so, he sheds sheds eternal wisdom on the relationship of faith and action. That's what this commentator is saying. This is what James is trying to do. It was an issue then, it's an issue now. We all know that. There's so many of us that just attend church. I go to church. But then come Monday morning, it's like, really? I wouldn't know that. Right, he's confronting this hypocrisy. Okay, so that's the 30,000 foot view, but let's dig in. Let's walk through the text. Again, we're gonna kind of walk through these verses kind of quickly, but it says this. So verse 14 right, James begins this section kind of with this argument with these two rhetorical questions, right? He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? These are rhetorical questions. And even in the Greek, they demand negative answers. They're like, no, it's not good. And no, that faith can't save him. Right? He starts off with these 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 obviously rhetorical questions to this audience that's reading this letter, and then in verse fifteen and seventeen, fifteen through seventeen, he starts with these rhetorical questions, then he moves into uh, an illustration. Again, to further emphasize the importance of a faith that works, and what you'll know from these twelve verses, actually from the whole book of James, it's pretty repetitive. He's saying one thing in different ways just to try to get your attention and for you to understand. The rhetorical questions weren't enough. Here's an illustration. If the illustration wasn't enough, let me try it this way. We're gonna see that today. But like any of us, we learn well with repetition. James knows this. He's doing it to us. And so verses 15 through 17, right, says, this is an illustration to us as a church. If a brother or sister believer is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without actually tending to their needs, without giving to them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so James says, so also faith by itself does not have, that does not have works is dead. So in this illustration, Right, that brother and sister is is a fellow believer who sits, perhaps you know, at the Lord's table um, with the rest of the church in worship, like a gathering like this. And his example, like, would be, hey, that person maybe is inadequately dressed, or they look poor, or impoverished, or whatever, destitute, and it looks like they need food. Um, looks like they don't have it. And his example, it says, you, like, right, you that are good, you're full and you're satisfied, Uh, maybe you're, you're dressed with normal or good clothes. Um, If you see that other believer that's in need and go, Hey, I know your need, but go in peace, be warmed and be filled (laughs) and don't do anything, right? And you go merrily on your way. He says, if this happens, this is an example, but if something like this happens, He says, something is radically wrong with your faith. Like, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of loving God and loving other people if in front of you, you see the needs of others and you don't do anything about it. And James says, what good is that? And the whole point is, none at all. He says, by faith by itself, just you singing lyrics just you saying you're a Christian, just you going to church, but then none of that actually comes out of your life. He says, it's actually pointless. It doesn't mean anything. Again, he, he uses stronger language. The faith that you think you had, you actually don't have it. It's dead. You're like, what do you mean, James? We, I don't know. I need. It. He's like, no, I'm serious. He says, your your life has to bear the fruit of your belief or else there's an issue with your belief. See how the heat gets turned up pretty quick here, right? So he says, if our faith isn't outwardly showing it, then inwardly, we have an issue. And again, what James is getting at here and it's confronting in some way, probably to all of us, if we're honest, is, right, the inconsistency that can happen between what we claim to be and what actually is. Right, that being hypocrisy of our life and our faith. James uses this illustration to expose this hypocrisy and inconsistency. It's confronting. It is, it's challenging because it challenges us to think about our own lives for a second. And this is James's hope for these believers. Yes, this is hard to hear, but he's challenging the validity and the consistency of their faith. It's not just James, but uh, for one example, the Apostle John also affirms in a different context, saying this, 1 John 3, he says, if anyone has the world's goods... And he sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Again, this is another letter written by another person in another context. But again, there's a direct correlation. If you claim to know Christ, and if Christ has saved you, and he's given you his life for you, then you ought to do the same for those around you. Like very practically. And again, to state the opposite and what James, uh, of what James is saying here and, and what our faith should consist of is that his point is, true faith requires compassion and action. Because again, depending on your upbringing, depending on your perception, you could think, well, faith just equals saying a certain creed, a certain statement. There's certain check boxes that, that I do in life that is my faith. And what James is trying to do is he's poking a hole in that argument and he says, actually, your faith, your belief is actually shown by faith your care and compassion and action towards others. And if, again, if we were to allow this to sink into us today in this room, all of us should, rightfully so, go, okay, this is why I'm at church today. Okay, Lord. We should say, how is my own actions reflect my belief in Christ? And again, that's for those of us that we are, we claim to be Christians, or we are Christians, or, you know, if, again, if you, if you wouldn't say that about yourself, then, right, that wouldn't apply to you here. But again, if we're claiming to be Christians, what does our life look like? <clears throat> right? If we tend to talk about our faith in Christ and the truth of his word, but then do nothing or very little, what James is saying here, you, you may be in spiritual trouble. And we really have to assess how much, uh, all that we believe in has really sunk in. Or again, right again, there's like Christianese sayings and stuff, but like, all right, a lot of us can be Sunday Christians, but are you a Monday Christian? Because for many people, it's like we compartmentalize our faith. We go, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in that. But like, let me just live my life how I want throughout the week. And James says, "Disconnect. That's a disconnect. That's a huge disconnect." So he's trying to challenge you. Okay, so moving on, verse 18. Um, it reminds us, uh, you know, as we as we read here, as we read how James is talking about faith and works and the fruit of works. If you remember, James is the half brother of Jesus. Jesus also talked about fruit coming from a life that is transformed. And Jesus spoke in parables. Uh, These were stories or illustrations of everyday things to try to communicate a truth to his audience. Uh, There's a famous one, the parable of the sower. Many of you guys have probably read it. Um, It's in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. And in this parable taught by Jesus... Um, he's talking about seeds that are, you know, thrown and there's different soils that these seeds land on. And the first three soils that these seeds land on in this story, in this parable, they're hard soil, they're rocky soil, uh, they're weed-infested soil, and the seeds yield no fruit. But in this illustration, Jesus says, but the heart or the soil of the heart that is good soil, when the seeds are thrown, it does produce fruit. And Jesus even says it produces 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. let's read that last part for you, uh, Matthew 13, uh, talking about the good soil. This is Jesus. And as for the one sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and yields, and in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. Again, it's not just James. It's not just John. Now it's Jesus going, hey, real, like true living faith produces fruit, like living action, like a changed life produces changed actions, right? Uh, Biblical commentator R. Kent Hughes said it this way. He said, faith and works are like the wings of a bird. There can be no real life and no flight with a single wing, neither works or faith. But when the two are pumping together in concert, their owner soars through the heavens. This is what he says. Faith and works, neither is authentic without the other. Again, that's just his commentary on what James is saying here. But again, saying the same thing in different ways. As we go on in verse 9, 19, excuse me, James continues this section by talking talking to his hearers how uh, absurd it is, Um, kind of like this silly example. But in verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Right, even the enemies of God and the, the spiritual principalities of wickedness, they believe there's a God. Right? One commentator said, There's not a demon in the universe who's an atheist. They believe in who God is. They know who God is. Yes, they want to thwart all his will and his plan and they and his believers. But James's point here is it says it's not just good enough to believe, even the demons believe. Got to do better than that. That's his point. That's his point here. That there's there. Anyone can believe, but that belief isn't true unless it's accompanied by action. It's his point. It's his point. Again, same thing over and over. Verses 20 through 26, as we kind of move on here, is the second half of James's appeal. That genuine faith produces genuine, authentic kingdom works. And what's kind of cool about this section is he gives, if the rhetorical questions, if the illustrations weren't enough, if even like scaring them with demons wasn't enough, he's trying to make it really personal culturally for them. He's giving two examples here. Uh, One is of Abraham and one is of Rahab. But he's trying to like, even show them in real life how faith and actions go together. But he starts in verse 20. He, he kind of, again, poses kind of an aggressive question. But he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Again, he's, you can imagine James writing this letter and he's like, I don't think they're getting it. Like, do you guys, do you guys, you're, you're foolish right now. Again, James isn't very tactful, but he does grab our attention. And he goes in to answer that question with these two, you know, pretty diverse case studies. Again, one is Abraham and the other Rahab, which Abraham was like their patriarch. This is the father of their nation. I mean, this this was, you know, we as Israel are from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where the 12 tribes of Israel came from. This is like the start of their people group and their nation. It's Abraham. But then there's Rahab, this Gentile prostitute that we're gonna see in a second in Joshua, the book of Joshua, that has remarkable faith met with remarkable actions. But again, both extremes, James will argue, demonstrate the importance of an active faith. So the first is Abraham's authentic faith, right? This first case study detailed here in verses 21 through 23, it says this, "'Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar?' You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works." And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, there was this really gnarly um, testing that God had for Abraham to trust God with the sacrificing of his son, Isaac. And up to the point of him actually doing, Abraham trusted God and believed God and went through almost with this action. And every Israelite, every reader of this text would know vividly the story of Abraham and Isaac. And what James here is saying is that Abraham believed, but his faith was completed by the fruit of his actions. Again, his actions are not what saved him. He was not saved by his actions, but his actions were proof that he was saved. So again, if you sit yourself in the context of this letter from James, and you're a Jewish believer, you're reading this, and even though Abraham is this patriarch, maybe this far-off guy that you revere, James is saying, even for him, his faith was made complete. His faith was made genuine by his actions. And again, um, we see, if you guys haven't read Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. But Abraham is listed in there. And it talks all about how his faith and his actions work together. It says he started out in faith, Hebrews 11:8. He sojourned in faith, Hebrews 11:9. 9. He sacrificed in faith, Hebrews 11:17. 17. But all of this, Abraham believed God, but his, he was counted as righteousness and called a friend of God because his faith was made real through his actions. And again, James's point here is that where there is real faith, there will be an automatic outworking of it in life. Genuine faith results in works. But for many Israelites, they're like, well, that's Abraham. I mean, he's our patriarch. And James, probably knowing this, goes, okay, let me give you another example of Rahab the prostitute. Again, if you're an Israelite reading this, you might be like, okay, wow, this is changing course. But let me hear it. Again, Abraham was a patriarch, Rahab was a prostitute by perception, you know, Abraham was moral, she was immoral, he was the original Jew, she was this Gentile woman, but nevertheless, Rahab developed a genuine faith. And again, just for the sake of time, I won't go fully into the book of Joshua, um, which if you haven't, read it, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 3, you'll encounter Rahab. And there's this interaction where the two spies from the children of Israel cross the Jordan River and they go into the city of Jericho and they're spying out the land, the land of milk and honey. And Rahab not only believes them on who who Yahweh was, who their God was, she's heard about the children of Israel. It says that she believes and she actually helps these spies out. And then later on, Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 7, they cross over and the walls and the city of Jericho fall and Rahab is spared. But we get this picture of this woman Rahab that by all perceptions is immoral and a sinner and an outcast, but she believes in God. She trusts in God. And then we see that actions are connected to her faith. And those actions in the context are helping these spies out and sending them off in a different road so they're saved. But again, there is actions connected to her faith. Rahab's faith, vividly told in Joshua chapter 2, produced these these amazing works. She hid the spies. She assisted in their escape. Um, She advised them to go the other way. But her faith, the point is, her faith produced action. So again, Abraham, Rahab, James is trying to, again, make his his argument. And he ends by saying this. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, faith without action, even if it's presented in the most religious, polished way, is worthless if your life doesn't bear the fruit of it. There's a quote by Martin Luther as we kind of wrap up here, and he says this: about our faith. "Oh," he says, "It is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it's already been done and is always at the doing of them. He who, does not, he who does not these works is a faithless man. He gropes and looks about after faith and good works and knows neither what faith is nor what good works are, though he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. I love it there because he says faith is to be active and if your faith is genuine it's actually impossible for good works not to be incessantly coming out of you. I talked to you about the Hall of Faith a second ago with Hebrews chapter 11. If you're taking notes you should write it down and read that chapter because it's called the Hall of Faith because it highlights men and women with incredible faith. But also if you read it With James in mind, you'll realize that these men and women in the Hall of Faith, it only describes how they did good works from that faith. You could say it's the Hall of Good Works as well, that these men and women of faith did these amazing good works that came out of their faith. For example, I'll just read a few because sometimes... You maybe not, you're you not, not going to do that homework reading, reading it. So I'll read it for you. A couple examples, Hall of Faith. But when you're reading this, look at how faith is connected to good works. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Noah, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob. By faith, Joseph made mention. By faith, Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Every one of these faiths, and a lot more in this chapter, is connected to how because of their faith, good works resulted. Fruit came from their life. Okay. So to end this section, there's a lot there. But again, you heard multiple times the theme that James is trying to get across. So where does that leave us today? How do we in this cafeteria in downtown Honolulu, after hearing this piece of letter written by James, what does that leave us? Well, what's awesome is that we have a few songs of worship right now to respond to this. This is a perfect sermon. This is a perfect text that welcomes response. If we were to just hear what was just said from James and walk out this room and not ask ourselves how our own life we're doing, we missed it. All of James' illustrations and rhetorical questions and passive aggressiveness or whatever, we missed. I know for me, I'll just, I'll just share where, where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to genuinely ask myself, how does my life line up all the time especially when no one's looking, right? It's really easy to uh, put a face on. It's really easy to pretend. It's really, we're good. You guys are good, actors and actresses. We're good. We want to have a good perception. We, have, we want everybody to know things. But what about the times that people don't know anything? In those moments, does our life reflect Christ. What areas in our lives don't match our faith? So this is a growing, this is a great um, discipleship moment. I think every time you read the Bible is. but this is a great moment for growth to happen. But again, only growth only comes if you're acknowledging that you need it and then you're willing to come to God and say, God, grow me. I see inconsistencies in my life. I see it with my speech. I spe- see it with my time. I see it with my relationships. I see it in that email I sent last week. Like, just drill down. I see it how I treated that person. I see it how I thought of that person. Like, make it real. How, whatever, whatever involves your life. I know my prayer, and I hope it would be for you as we enter into this time of worship. I want a consistent life genuine faith that produces genuine fruit, and there's not inconsistencies. Right? Faith with works. And so I pray and I hope that you, along with myself, not only during this time of worship, but during this week, that you would be challenged to ask the Lord, or maybe it's ask people that know you really well, that you trust you can ask. Hey, be really honest, be be nice, be kind. But be really honest. Do you think that I practice what I preach? I know that's really vulnerable to ask. and so Maybe do it in like a very, <laughs> maybe think about it, pray about it. But that would be a good, a good place to be like, most of the time, yes. But if I was gonna tell you one place where I think that, here it is. maybe you know that already. But maybe that could be helpful to maybe illuminate an area. But again, James's point and my point today, is that we would just continue to grow into loving and ma- more mature disciples of Jesus. That we'd be refined and we'd grow and that we wouldn't just say we know Jesus, but our life would bear fruit of that. Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, once again, we, we, we just say that you're good. Your ways are higher than our ways, that you are perfect, you are holy, that you know what's best for our lives, and you know that each of us needed to hear this today. God, we know from your word that nothing is of coincidence, that you are a sovereign God, and that each of us are gathered here today because you want us to be more like you. You desire to change us from the inside out. You desire that our belief, would so permeate our life that the natural fruit would be good, authentic kingdom works. And so, Lord, we all come before you, myself included, saying, God, we all could just use more of you. We want more of you. We want more of your transformative nature. God, we want to surrender our speech We want to surrender our priorities. We want to surrender our relationships to you. We want to surrender our jobs, our families, and say, God, we want to be more like you in those spheres. As we interact with those at restaurants and the store and the gas station and our neighbors, our housemates, our classmates, our spouses, our kids, we want our faith to be genuinely Shown in those spheres. Help us, Lord. Make us more loving and caring and compassionate to others around us because of inward work that you've done in our lives. We give you this time of worship. We ask that not only would we worship you, but there would be real heart change that happens, that we'd be able to surrender and just receive from you right now. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.